Well, I was... I was saying to Jim and Dee before uh, worship began that uh, by the grace of God and God's providence, this year I've got five Sundays in October, which neatly lines up with the five solas of the Reformation. Um, the, the word sola, of course, meaning is uh, Latin for alone or, or only. And um, the Reformers emphasized five aspects of the Christian faith to guide us as we are interpreting scripture, as we're learning and growing alongside each other. And today I'm going to be talking about grace alone. Um, and uh, as I do that, I want to start with, by putting out to you a distinction I want you to think about as I preach tonight. And I got this from R.T. Kendall, uh, from his book, Total Forgiveness. Um, it's an amazing book. Uh, it was used, it was basically the blueprint for uh, of preventing civil war. In South Africa, when apartheid was collapsing, it was the it was the book that was used um, by the man who was the architect to to prevent civil war from happening down there. And he, he makes this distinction. He says, "Grace is receiving what you do not deserve, as in God's favor. Mercy is not receiving what you do deserve." Think about it for a second. Grace is receiving what you don't deserve as a gift. Mercy is not receiving what you definitely do deserve. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, now, I offer that to you, and I'm, I'm going to begin my sermon in an unusual way. I'm going to quote one of the most famous atheists in the world and his criticism of God. Um, he's one of what they call the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Um, I think they're down to three now. I think one of them died. Uh, but um, they're called the four horsemen of the apocalypse because they've made an awful lot of money and sold an awful lot of books stumping for atheism. Uh, and this guy's name is Richard Dawkins. He is a biologist, I believe from Oxford or Cambridge. I can't remember which one. Um, but in his book, The God Delusion, here is what Richard Dawkins says of God. He says, The God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all fiction. Jealous and proud of it. Petty, a petty, unjust, unforgiving control freak. A vindictive, bloodthirsty, ethnic cleanser, a misogynistic, homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, filicidal, pestilential, megalomaniacal, sadomasochistic, capricious, malevolent bully. And I know he worked really hard on that sentence because I saw him interviewed, and when somebody misquoted it, he said, Oh no, I said it much better than that, let me read it to you. Now, I start there because... Um, while Richard Dawkins may be one of the most arrogant people who's ever uh, taken pot shots at God and slandered him, was mischaracterizing some things from, from the scriptures, um, he's far from the only one. Uh, as our reading from Ezekiel shows, Ezekiel's about 600 years before the birth of, of Christ. And apparently people had the same kind of criticisms of God back then. The ways of God are unjust. Now, we often, we're like this. We, we're, we're really keen, we human beings. We fallen human beings are really good at spotting what we perceive to be the sins of others. Now, Professor Dawkins, um, for all his high-minded criticism here, um, 
when one of his uh, heroes and colleagues was uh, revealed to be a criminal who had um, abused children for decades on end, he couldn't find it in his heart to say that what the man had done was objectively wrong. Um, he also is an advocate for forcibly removing children from the homes of religiously observant parents. Um, but he still presumes to take shots at God and criticize God's morality. Now, I offer that because that's what we're all good at. We are all good at looking at the sins of others and being absolutely clear that they should be convicted for those. But when it comes to our own sins, we are convinced that if everyone knew the backstory, we would be let off the hook. We say we want a God of justice, but when we consider that we are going to be judged not only for the sins we've committed bodily, but for the thoughts and intentions of our hearts, as Jesus makes clear, we don't really want a God of justice when it comes to our judgment. We're hoping for mercy. We're hoping that God will find it in His heart to not give us what we deserve. If the wages of sin is death, as it says in Romans 6, we're hoping to not pick up that paycheck. We want a God of mercy who will not give us what we deserve. And in Jesus Christ, that's exactly what we get. In Jesus Christ, God gives to us His grace. Gives us an undeserved gift. Again, remember, grace is getting what you don't deserve. And God gives us this incredible gift of forgiveness of our sins through the cross of Jesus Christ, but He does it in an incredibly unexpected way. See, we forget that, as St. Paul says, God was in Jesus Christ reconciling Himself to the world. If we just look at Jesus as a nice moral teacher, if we just look at Jesus as another wise person teaching us how to live, then... Professor Dawkins' uh, charge of filicide, that's a fancy word for killing your children, especially, well, killing your son, um, then it fits. But if we remember that Jesus Christ is God Himself in the flesh, we see the cross completely differently. This is God, not God taking out His wrath on His Son because He needs to take it out on somebody. This is God volunteering to step forward and suffer the penalty of our sin for our sake. And that's what our reading from Philippians is about tonight. Did you notice when you were reading along here that, did you notice there was a section in brackets? Um, Because that was the optional part of the reading. Um, I kept it because it's a really important important piece of, of the Bible. This was a hymn in the early church. The people who gathered in worship, this is written around, this letter is written around 62 AD, so it's less than 30 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. The people who gathered to worship as Christians at that time knew the words of this section, what we think of as scripture now, knew the words of this hymn as well as we know the opening line to Amazing Grace. And so St. Paul could quote it at them and say, Don't you know what you sing about? Remember this. This this Jesus, who though he was in very form God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped onto, 
but instead emptied himself and took the form of a servant and became obedient even unto death on a cross. So that at his name every knee should bow. His name would be more highly exalted than any other name. This is this God who empties himself, not just of power. See, that's what we focus on as, as modern people. We, fo- we focus, we look at the cross, and we think of power, and we think of pain, or powerlessness and pain. Because we live in a world where pain relief is easy. I woke up this morning, you can probably hear it in my voice, I'm, gonna, I'm like chugging water the whole service trying to keep, my mouth is so dry I'm allergic to something. <laughs> something that's, that's either in bloom or something that's some mold that comes up this time of year. I woke up with this massive sinus headache this morning and I thought, wow, I'm really going to be frowsy headed for preaching. So I took two Advil, I took two Sudafed, and all of a sudden I could preach with a, with a clearer head. Pain relief is ready to hand. If you have surgery, you get a local anesthetic or a general anesthetic or an epidural. But it wasn't like that in the ancient world. In the ancient world, the only pain relief you had was alcohol. And it's not very good as a local anesthetic. Pain was a fact of life in the ancient world. What impressed them about the cross was not the pain of it, because pain is part of life. What impressed them about the cross was the shame of it. That God Most High would empty Himself and take on a criminal's death and be spat upon and be whipped and be crowned with thorns and have His name be dragged through the mud. This is what amazed the early Christians. This is why Hebrews 12.2 says that you know Jesus Christ, who for the, the sake of what was set before Him, endured the cross despising the shame, literally like casting it aside, despising the shame that he might sit at the right hand of God. So unexpected is God's grace, enough that he should give up power and authority, but to take on the shame that ought to go somewhere else, to let his own name be muddied. This is, this is no megalomaniacal, whatever he said, Pestilential, megalomaniacal, sadomasochistic, capriciously malevolent bully. This is a God of love who so wants to reestablish communion with his fallen creatures, he will empty himself of everything it is to be him in order to reestablish it. And yes, Dr. Dawkins specifies the God of the Old Testament, but he kind of misses something when he says that. Jesus in John 5, 9 says, uh, Very truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing by Himself. He can only do what He sees His Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son does also. The God of the Old Testament, God called Father. And He has always been about the business. From the very moment Adam and Eve sin, He's about the business of bringing His fallen and wandering children home. Grace. Being given what we do not deserve. That's why the most popular way of explaining grace to little kids is to say God's riches at Christ's expense. God gives to us what we do not deserve in Jesus. And I want to close by 
by sharing a story Pastor Ken Klaus of Lutheran Hour Ministries shared. Um, I don't know if it's on the local radio, but I think it's on iHeartRadio. You can listen to it. It's a national radio show. But he shared this story. It's a real story. Um, but it puts a human face on what grace looks like here in our world. Um, this happened in Iran a couple of years ago. Uh, there was a street fight between two young men, 17 years old, and one stabbed the other, and the other one died. And um, in Iran, under Sharia law, uh, murder is a capital offense. So the young man was thrown in jail where he rotted in, a, in, a, in a, an Iranian jail for seven years. Finally, he was brought to trial, convicted. I mean, it was a street fight. Everyone saw it. There was no question. And um, he was brought to trial, and then he was going to be executed. But it's a shame-honor culture over there. Um, and he was going to be... You're not just executed quietly in a corner in a nice room with a needle in your arm. Um, you're shamed publicly. And so this young man was going to be marched to the, the center of the, of the town and hung. Not hung like we do where someone drops and the rope snaps and breaks their neck and it's nice and clean and quick, but hung until he suffocated in front of his entire, the entire town. And he was brought out that morning and... Uh, as he walks through the, the street, people are spitting on him and throwing things at him. And they take him to the makeshift gallows they've set up in the center square. And um, they put the hood around over his head. They put the noose around his neck. And there's, he's standing on a chair. Because the other thing about it is the family of the murder victim gets to participate in your execution. So what was going to happen was is a family member was going to come in and kick out that chair and watch him die. As he stood upon the chair and heard the screams of the crowd quiet, he knew that the parents of the murdered boy had arrived. And they walked, they walked up to him, and the mother rips off the hood and slaps him in the face. And then she steps back so the father can step in. And the father steps forward, and he looks the boy in the eye, and he loosens the noose and takes it off his head and helps him step down from the chair. And the mother of the murdered boy and the mother of the murderer embraced each other. And for a moment, in that part of the world where there is so much violence, they saw what could happen when grace reigned instead of justice. We are saved by God's grace alone. In His mercy, He doesn't give us what we deserve. In His grace, He gives us what we could never, ever earn. His willingness to experience the shame and yes, the deprivation of the cross that we might have life eternal. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, you give to us more than we could ever hope for. And we ask, as we come here and reflect on your mercy and your grace, that you would make us more gracious. Help us to heal the wounds of this hurting world 
by living from the grace that you have first bestowed upon us. Make us generous to forgive, to offer second chances and third and fourth chances. Help us to be a balm on the wounds of this world that Your name may be proclaimed, that Your grace recognized and lauded, and that we may praise You more fully as the people You have called us to be through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In His name we pray. Amen.